You're listening to a sermon podcast for a time like this from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Back in June, when Rachel and I were first launching into our long three-and-a-half-month tour through the stories of Genesis and Exodus, I cited a famous address from 1917 by the great Swiss theologian Karl Barth, who insisted that, quote, within the Bible there is a strange new world, the world of God. At that time, I noted how in that strangeness we can glimpse something of the human struggle to understand and even to contend with the divine. Well, there is some serious strangeness in tonight's reading. What with its poisonous snake sent by God and the strange image of a bronze serpent being raised on a pole as a source of healing. What is going on here? By this point, it's been close to 40 years since those people had left Egypt. So this incident is quite close to the end of their wilderness time. Yet their protests still continue. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. No food. We detest this miserable food. Which is a bit like the kid looking into the fully stocked fridge and complaining, Mom, there's nothing to eat in this house. Yes, people, there is food. It's called manna. And you've been nourished by it for close to 40 years now. Mom, not manna again. Their complaint, the writer tells us, is against both Moses and God. God's response is quick those venomous snakes that bite and kill. Here Elizabeth Webb comments, One of the most difficult questions that this text clearly raises is that of the character of God. What kind of God is this who inflicts death on people for their lack of trust? Recall that the people have been to Sinai, They've received the law and are bound in covenant with God. Their lack of faith is, to the writers of this passage, a violation of the covenant and therefore worthy of punishment. Well, that's fine so far as it goes, but that's a rather different framework for the character of God than the one in which I've been formed, both as a believer and as a priest. That's part of the strangeness of the story and its world. And why we can't just dismiss the story by saying something like, oh, that's not my kind of God, sorry. 
but rather must return to it and wrestle in it. The other bit of strangeness is the remedy which God offers once the people have come to Moses, saying, rather predictably, We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who's bitten shall look at it and live. And so Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. Now that's truly a strange one. Not merely because, quote, the entire healing procedure in this text smacks of sympathetic magic and even quackery, as the Old Testament scholar Terence Fretheim puts it, but also because it seems a rather clear violation of the commandment against graven images, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, as the commandment says. Yet here, in response to Moses' prayers for the people, God directs that a bronze serpent be cast and then raised high on a pole, such that anyone who's bitten and looks on it will live. It's not as if they used it during the invasion of snakes and then gratefully melted it down, for it actually turns out that it's carried with them across the Jordan into the land of promise, where it eventually finds a home on display in the temple Solomon would build evidently considered an entirely orthodox symbol to display in the temple. It isn't until sometime around 700 BCE, so 500 years later, that the reforming king Hezekiah second-guessed the decision to have the serpent in the temple and had the thing destroyed as people had fallen into a practice of making offerings to it. Now, seriously, Lord, couldn't you have seen that coming? I mean, I'm fully aware that symbols and rituals can be an important part of our spiritual practice, and that even Jesus used a bit of spit and dirt to make mud to anoint the eyes of a blind man. But so many stories of your ancient people tell us that they were inclined to miss the point and fall directly into some rather disastrous practices, kings, priests, and people alike. Truly a strange story, and one that evades an easy resolution. And yet, it is precisely this story that Jesus calls upon during his late-night conversation with the Pharisee Nicodemus. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is remembering this ancient story 
And he knows that Nicodemus will remember it too. The story of the poisonous snakes and the bronze figure had not been set aside in the Judaism of Jesus' day, dismissed as too strange or too arcane to retell. No, the strange story with its strange symbol is invoked as a way of coaxing Nicodemus forward out of the darkness of night in which he had come toward the light that he really needed. Now, recalling that in the original story, the snakes aren't just sort of taken away, the land isn't freed from the snakes, but rather the healing is offered after a person had been bitten. Terence Fretheim notes, there is a gift of healing where the pain experienced is the sharpest. Deliverance comes not in being removed from the wilderness, but in the very presence of the enemy. The movement from death to life occurs within the very experience of God-forsakenness. The death-dealing forces of chaos are nailed to the pole. And then making the connection to this gospel conversation with Nicodemus, Fretheim continues, And so one day, the pole must reappear in another God-forsaken place, high on a hill overlooking the holy city. God himself has taken to the pole. Once for all, so that all those who know they are dying in the wilderness can be healed, look up at him and live in the wilderness. So that all those who know they are dying in the wilderness can be healed, which is another way of saying that we are not saved from struggle or from pain or from sin or from death, but we are saved right in the midst of those very things. Look up to him and live, says Fretheim, in the wilderness. And many of us are in wilderness terrain right now. Whether on account of having taken on the spirit of this Lenten season in a very particular way, or simply because life, the pandemic, physical or emotional frailty, are throwing us a series of curveballs we simply cannot catch. Look up to him who has been hung on a cross, buried in a tomb, and thus opened the way to resurrection life. Look up to him and live right here and now in the wilderness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church, including further resources during these days of the COVID-19 global pandemic, or to provide support for our online work, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. Thanks for listening.